You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. If you don't know, my name is Matt Brumfield, and I'm the online community pastor here at NCC. And for those in the room, I do have to admit, it's a little weird being on this side of the screen this morning, um, but we'll, uh, we'll roll with it. Usually I'm watching and, and engaging, commenting online with everyone. Um, but I'm grateful to be here to share God's word with us as we close out our Healthy Habits series. And so over these last five weeks, if you've tuned in, whether you're watching online or whether you've been joining us in person, we've been going through these healthy habits, right? We've looked at Bible study at prayer, at fasting, at worship. And then today, Pastor Brandon gave me the privilege of bringing it home with the topic of generosity. Um, And with that, I did a bit of a, are you sure you want me to talk on generosity? Um, But today, this morning, as we press into this, um, I'm gonna need your help in here. I know it's early. I know uh, there's lots of snow out. I know if you're watching online, you probably have your third cup of coffee and a nice blanket and I'm a little bit envious. Um, But I believe that we've all experienced generosity in some form or another. And so to help us kind of get our minds thinking, I want you to think in your mind of a moment, um, and if you're watching online, so think of a a word or a sentence that that would explain to you a moment. I'm a big believer in storytelling. I think there's power in stories of what's the moment in your life where you experienced generosity And so think of uh, a word or a phrase and get ready to type it in the comments. Um, And and I want us to think of this. And so on the count of three, I want everyone to say out loud, I know you gotta wake up a little bit, you gotta type it. So on the count of three, we're all gonna at the same time say your word or your sentence that has to do with generosity and how that has impacted your life. Okay, you ready? Can you do that? Nod your heads if if you're with me. Everybody with me? Nod your heads online if you're with me. All right. All right, on the count of three, say your word or your sentence. One, two, three. All right, that was good. Now, if we were all able to read and hear what everyone had said, I bet that every single one of those would say, yes, that is a great story. That is a crazy opportunity that there was generosity shown to you or that you had shown to others. And I'm sure that there would be a lot of overlap and some unique, and I bet some of these would come from a place of right, reactive generosity where you, because of a relationship that you had or an organization that you're around that said, hey, there's this need, how can we meet it? And you stepped into that. I bet some of those stories would be this proactive generosity where you said, man, I'm like for this person or right, I'm for right, what this organization believes in, I am behind that. And while all these things are true, I want us to take a step even back further than that. That before we begin, we remember the greatest display of generosity in all of eternity. When the almighty, all-knowing, creator God, Yahweh, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die the death 
to pay the price for our sin and rebellion that only he could pay. And that through the shedding of his blood, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, to usher us into his kingdom. And this gift of generosity was not just the gift of eternal salvation, but the ministry of reconciliation. And with this gospel message, this Jesus in mind, this display of generosity, I want to ask us to consider if maybe without knowing it, we've defaulted into seeing the tip of the generosity iceberg as the whole of what it means to be generous. See, church, I sat and I prayed in preparation for today, and I said, okay, God, what what do you want me to say? God, I've spent 11 years of my life at the North Canton Chapel. God, I have watched them be generous with their money. God, I have watched them be generous in giving of themselves, right, at Amplify weekends, at mission trips, holding doors, making coffee, playing instruments, leading groups, rocking, crying babies. So God, like, what do you want me to say? And as I sat and prayed and reflected, the Holy Spirit brought something to me. Because everything I just listed before in my prayer, if that was the sum of what it means to be a generous church, then what do we do with 2020? Do we write it off? We couldn't do a whole slew of those things. If that's what it means to be generous, then what do we do? And as I kept praying, God impressed something on me as I looked back on who I was in 2020. In light of the generosity of the gospel and the generosity of Jesus, the reality that God brought to my heart makes me lament and mourn because I was functionally not living in the abundance of his grace and his mercy, but in the scarcity of the world. If I couldn't be measured by what happened in these walls and these ministry programming environments, then what could I be measured by? My Facebook feed? My office conversations? My time at home with my family? And I realized that March of 2020 began an even if moment for myself and for us as the church. See, we were all thrown into turmoil. Everything, every sphere of our lives, spiritual, cultural, personal, public, political, was thrown upside down. And we as Christians were given an even if moment. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, When everything was stripped away and laid bare, the opportunity to say, even if God is still good. And this past year challenged us to answer, even if this is gone, even if this doesn't happen, is Jesus enough? Is God still good? Is the cross, his abundant generosity enough in church? Let me be the first to confess how scarce my yes was and how generous my anger and frustration to a world that was watching us with eyes desperately seeking any sign of hope in the midst of turmoil. And so this morning, I want to invite you to journey with me to think about generosity in a new light. Church, North Kent Chapel, 
my beloved brothers and sisters, I love you. My love runs 11 years, 4,000 days deep. And I believe that God is awakening something in each of us that he wants to invite us into the abundance of his generosity and the abundant work that he is doing. But before we can step into that, we must come to terms with this reality that generosity starts with letting God deal with our hearts. Generosity starts with letting God deal with our hearts. If you would, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we enter this space, this time, this morning, whether we're in the room or whether we're watching online. God, we all carry something different into this space. But God, I ask and I believe that your word will go before us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just open our eyes and our ears to hear that you would soften our hearts. Jesus, that we would be willing to ask the hard questions. That we would be willing to say, God, what are you asking of us? Would you speak to us this morning? Would we remember the abundant generosity that was displayed on the cross? And may that drive us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So we're going to start by looking at a parable that Jesus told. And so it's out of the Gospel of Matthew. And you might have read it before. It's the parable of the talents. And so it's a story that Jesus told about a master and his servants. And so this master is preparing to go on a journey. And then he entrusts something to his servants. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. If not, it'll be on the screen or on the lower thirds if you're watching online. I'm going to go ahead and read this. And so this is a story about the kingdom of heaven. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what do we see here, right, with this parable, this story of the master on a journey and his servants who are entrusted? The first thing we see is this, is there's this generosity of the master and there's a responsibility of the servants. The master entrusts something to them. And so you may have heard this before when it talks about talents. We think about like, what am I good at? Like, can I play an instrument? Am I like a people person? While those things are true, this in the context was speaking of literal wages. So a talent in that time was equivalent of 15 to 20 years wages. So I want you to like do some math in your head of if you right, have a full-time job, have a full-time job, right? Take that, multiply by 20, right? This is a lot. The master entrusted a lot to them. We also see this, that he entrusts different to them, and this is important, okay? What God entrusts to us is not all equal, and that is okay. We don't all hold the same amount of weight and responsibility, but we are all given the same opportunity You see, it's not in the amount of what's about the faithfulness to what God has entrusted to us, right? We all have been entrusted the gospel, but the spaces in which God has entrusted to us are not all the same. And then next we see this response of the servants because the master entrusts something and goes away and the servants are asked, what will we do with what the master has given to us? And so the first two do very similar things. The one who has five takes it and makes five more. The one who has two takes it and makes two more, right? They multiplied what was given. And because this parable speaks of, right, this, this fullness, right, this actual goods, like there's this fullness in our lives of what God has entrusted to us is in the fullness of our life, not just the spiritual things, but every area of your life, right? What do we do with this? The first two took what the master had entrusted and they multiplied it. But the third does something. He buries it and did nothing. The third servant was given so much and he did nothing with it but keep it to himself. And the first two in having to do, we don't understand and we're not told the methods that they went and multiplied it, but there was a risk in that. And see, Jesus speaks to this throughout his ministry about the cost of following Jesus, the the risk that's involved. Church, there is always a risk in following Jesus. Following Jesus costs something and involves doing something. Do you know what apathy is? Apathy is when you lack motivation to do anything and you just don't care about what's going on around you. Church, apathy is not a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, in chapter three, verse 16, 
It says, so because you are lukewarm, right? He's speaking to the church in Laodicea. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. In the context of that verse, right, the city of Laodicea, the river that they were by, was, was muddy, it was unusable, undrinkable, it wasn't good for anything, and so what they had to do was build these huge aqueducts that would bring water in from two other cities. The one city, about five miles away, had these hot springs. Back in those times, hot water was really good for like cleansing and for medicinal purposes and for your health, and so right, this city had this hot water, and so via the aqueducts, it would come to Laodicea, and then this other city, 10 miles away, Right, had these cold springs, and that cold water is so refreshing and good, and so they bring that in. But something happened by the time it actually got from the aqueducts to Laodicea. It was lukewarm. It wasn't hot. It wasn't good for those medicinal purposes, those healing, those cleansing. And that cold water wasn't, wasn't that cold, refreshing drinking. It was lukewarm. It was good for nothing. What we do with what we've been given matters to God because it reveals our hearts. And we see this in the response of the master. He says three things, well done, good, and faithful, right? Well done speaks to the results. Good speaks to the methods. And I think sometimes we wanna like land on these. Well, it's about the results or the method to get it. No, but, but notice, he deals with each of them not by their results, not by the methods, no, but by the motivation of their faithfulness or faithlessness. See, the third worker was dealt with by his motivation, right? He did nothing. He buried it. He hid it. It says he was fearful. It wasn't about that he didn't do as much as the one who multiplied and got five more. No. The one who had five and came back with 10 and the one who had two and came back with four, right? They were both told the exact same thing by their master. And you could try, I was like, well, what arguments could we make about the third, right? Well, he, oh, he did something. He buried it. He guarded it. He kept it safe. He didn't let anyone steal it. He didn't let anything bad happen to it. Mm. You can't have Jesus and only worry about yourself. That's not the gospel. Just because the man took what his master gave him, buried it, held it safe, didn't let anything bad happen to it, and waited for the day when his master came again, that's not faithfulness, that's fear and selfishness. There is a risk in following Jesus, there is a cost. And if I examine my life, and there is no cost to me following Jesus, have I truly understood the weight of the cross and the depth at which he has gone to save me. Church, have you ever asked yourself the question, what does following Jesus cost me? In this past year, we've been stripped of so many things. And every one of us in this room or watching online feels a lot of different emotions or baggage coming into and looking at the question looking back on their year. But I think the question is, is this what we have been experiencing? What is before us? Is this the cost of being a Christian or is this inconvenience? As if I'm honest and look back on my life growing up in the church, working in the church in America, 
we have lived so long with very little cost. And this is not to make light, like I worship and rejoice that God has blessed us with these seasons of freedom where we can gather here safely. But let us not confuse that freedom. You see, if these are gone, our motivation for worship or anything we do, our motivation is not religious freedom, it's gospel proclamation. Across the world, there are brothers and sisters, believers, who gather every morning knowing that there is a risk of them being dragged from their home or from their villages. The book of Acts, right? If you open God's word, the book of Acts is filled with those who gathered under the persecution of the Roman Empire, story after story. I just finished reading through Acts, and you know what the crazy thing is? The voices of the Christian leaders weren't calling for Roman political transformation. They were sitting in jail cells with gospel proclamation. When I look at the generosity of Jesus, I wonder if I've confused what it means to risk something for the gospel. Is if my list of what it means for cost is marked by convenience, safety, protection, preference, whatever it is. When I look at my life when it's been guided by these, I've been asking the wrong questions. All of these focus on me. What I think I want, what I think I need, what this church can do for me, and not God, what are you trying to say to me? Holy Spirit, how do you want to use me in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this situation I'm in? God, what are you trying to say to me? How do you want to use me even if it's not according to my preference, even if it's not according to my safety, even if? Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19 says this. It says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Church, we're all so eager to go back to normal. I wonder if we've been still enough to ask if God's been trying to get our attention. And I know the weight of the next question I'm about to ask. I wonder in a year when we've essentially been given a a blank slate, a space to say, let's evaluate, let's pray, let's look. Have we been still enough to ask if God wants to get our attention? If we asked if God, if maybe the best thing for his kingdom is the death of the structure of the American church, Because here's the reality. Jesus' kingdom is made up of a lot of people that don't look anything like you or I apart from Jesus. I mean, you look at his disciples. It's tax collectors and fishermen and skeptics and political zealots, right? One dude worked for the empire, for the Roman government, and the other one wanted to overthrow it. And yet, and yet, Jesus, his only Jesus can do, says, come, follow me, and I will make you. And each of these came and sat at his table. 
is that us church who sits at our table when we've been given the most generous gift in all of eternity, who sits at our table? Only Satan says the table is too small for your opposite to sit next to you. The table of Jesus is bigger than political divide, denominational affiliation, earthly nationality. And don't hear me wrong, this is not about come as you are and never change. But we don't come to the table of Jesus because we are changed. We come to the table of Jesus to be changed because Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the only one who can change any of our hearts or any heart of any person on the face of this planet. Satan wants us to divide and live in scarcity. Jesus wants to invite us into the abundance of his grace as his servants to take what he has entrusted to us to make much of him every day to everyone in every place. No if, and, or but. No who, what, where, or when. And see, it starts with our hearts, but what happens is the change in our hearts shows itself fully in our lives. There's a story of Jesus' encounter in Luke 19 with a dude named Zacchaeus. If you grew up in the church, you probably sang songs about Zacchaeus being a wee little man. But there's so much richness in this to say this is what a generous life that is fully transformed by the gospel looks like. In Luke 19, verse 1, it says this, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the religious leaders, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 10 again. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In reading this, there's a few implications. First is this, right? Jesus. Jesus is God. God is sovereign over all things. He says, I must stay at your house today. Right? He knew what Zacchaeus was going to do, and he knew the blessing and the generosity that Zacchaeus' life transformed by the gospel was going to be. The next thing we see is that with God, all things are possible. How often do we forget this? You know, Jesus, right earlier on in his ministry, he speaks of how it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. But what do we read about Zacchaeus? It says he was a rich man. The ones that you and I could look at and maybe even give reference, right, and quote a scripture and say, there's no way this one's getting saved. The table of God is big enough for even those who we believe are farthest away. 
we see another response of the religious leaders. They, they grumbled. You know, throughout Scripture, there's something clear. Every time you see people grumbling and complaining, we see this here with the religious leaders. We see it with the Israelites who are wandering in the desert in Exodus 16. Literally, just having watched plagues rain down on the Egyptians, watching God part the Red Sea. I've been to Egypt. I've sat in the Red Sea. It's not this little lake. It is huge and it's massive. In the midst of forgetting that, as they grumble to complain in the wilderness, as the Pharisees grumble to complain here, right, it shows the sign not of generosity, but of scarcity of faith, of hope, of love, of joy, of peace, of faithfulness. And church, what we see here is that the gospel changes everything. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Do you know what tax collectors did? They made money by overcharging people, right? Their common practice relied on deceit, intimidation, and corruption. That was the tax collector way. The tax collector way was to take advantage of people. That was just what happened. Everybody knew it. He knew it, and the people that he collected tax from knew it, and that's how it was. But see, the gospel changes everything, not just the spiritual parts of Zacchaeus, but every facet of who he was. As citizens of God's kingdom, we cannot engage in practices that are contrary to God's ways. Zacchaeus when he experiences the goodness and the fullness of God's abundant generosity displayed in the cross, displayed in Jesus, everything about him changed. Zacchaeus could no longer say, well, the spiritual side of myself, right, I'll go worship here in the temple, right, I'll worship Jesus, but there's still this, this is the way we collect taxes. No, there wasn't the tax collector way, there was the gospel way. There wasn't the Roman way, there was the gospel way, right, and just so we're clear, This applies to us in all our lives. There is not an American way. There is a gospel way. The gospel changes everything. Zacchaeus sells half his goods. His worth wasn't riches, and then he gives them away. But it didn't just change his physical giving, there was something deeper. See, Zacchaeus, he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus didn't just say, I'm just gonna stop. I'm just gonna stop taking advantage. No, right, there is this reconciliation that God has called each and every one of us to. Right, Zacchaeus says, I am gonna make it right. And it wasn't enough just to make it right physically. God wants us to seek to restore things relationally. This is why church, we claiming the blood of Jesus, what we say about people matters. If you are in Christ, your words and your actions towards others come first and foremost from your gospel priority out of the generosity of the depths at which God has loved you. My tongue reveals the depths of God's goodness in my life. And when I look at this and I look at Zacchaeus seeking to restore things, I don't like this idea of relational reconciliation. I 
And I think it's easier for us to just give, right, financially or give our time, but relationships, that's messy. I think especially in a world that is consumed with self. You know, I sat this week and I said, how do we take this? But how do we take this, this generosity, God, starting dealing with our hearts and saying, okay, God, you want it to be fully in our lives, so what does that look like? How do we do this? God, how do I do this? God, how, how do I help the North Camp Chapel do this? I'm gonna give you four keys to being generous. The first is this. Spend more time with Jesus. Psalm 127. Sorry, that's next. (laughs) Spend more time with Jesus. And I know it sounds simple. I know it sounds like, hey, we want to do something else. But church, only when we're abiding in Jesus will we ever be able to respond to the things in our church in our workplaces, in our cities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our country, as Jesus is calling us to. And Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do something. But it's not gonna be the thing that Jesus is calling you to do. Spend more time with Jesus. Second, as you're spending time with Jesus, ask for kingdom vision. So what does this mean? Right, Psalm 127, verse one says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And I think in in, in all of this, it's the motivation of our hearts centered on Jesus and the work that he is doing. Church, I wanna invite you to imagine Imagine as we move back into the everyday, as you say your rhythms are coming back in, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you didn't have to say this is how it's always been done, but that you could say, Holy Spirit, what might you be trying to invite me into? Can you imagine if we lived as people who didn't sit in self-made citadels but stepped out into the barren wastelands, empowered by the word of God that does not return void, in the power of his spirit to partner with him to see his glory cover the face of the earth like the waters cover the sea? Can you imagine, church, if we stepped out into our neighborhoods and that we set a table that was big enough for our neighbors that were hurting, for the children that were fatherless and motherless, that we didn't have to argue about whether this law should or shouldn't be passed, that we just stepped out and said, there's a need, I'm gonna feed you, I'm gonna clothe you. Can you imagine, church, if we didn't move out of neighborhoods for a better school district so our kids could achieve something, but we said, no, Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among, and so we said, I'm gonna move into this neighborhood. I'm gonna be the church, I'm gonna move in to show them the immeasurable abundance and generosity of Jesus. 
where we said yes the lives of unborn children matter yes the lives of african-american men and women matter yes the lives of police officers matter where we believed in a god who is big enough to see reconciliation not based on political party but based on his holy spirit that is active and moving and is inviting us into what he is doing Church, God has given us an opportunity where literally everything has said, you have to pause, you have to be still, you have to be quiet. And we are so eager to say, when do we get back to, when do we get back to, that we haven't asked. I know I haven't asked, God, what are you trying to do now? Because let me tell you this. As I look at where we're going, if there's a North Canton Chapel way and there's a Jesus way, I don't want the North Canton Chapel way. I want the Jesus way. Have we asked for kingdom vision? Number three, give outside of Sunday. Here's the reality. I fully believe that God is doing incredible things in and through the North Canton Chapel. But here's what I believe bigger. You are the North Canton Chapel. And the four hours that you may spend in this building during your week, do you know you have 168 hours in your week? And so if all we ever do is measure our generosity and the things we are doing by these four hours and the few times that we give a week of our life, we are missing it. Yes, God is calling you to remain faithful here, to give of your time, your talents, of your treasures, but God has placed you in spaces and entrusted you with people and moved you into a neighborhood to see his glory, and you don't have to wait for the next event that the ministry team here puts on. The Holy Spirit is leading you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if you are in Christ, is living in you. And I fully believe that the work that our family ministry team does is wonderful. That our group life team does is wonderful, but we can't settle and say, that's enough. I just need to get them to this thing. No, like you have been sent out in those 164 hours where you're not here. Jesus is saying, will you be faithful with what I've entrusted you? And finally, we need to give what costs. Only you can know what costs you. I encourage you to sit and to pray and say, God, what are you asking me to do? What are you asking me to give? And I think sometimes we don't give that because there's parts of our heart that say, is Jesus really better than this thing? I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and then we're gonna sing this last song, right? Jesus is better. And I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit spoke something to you. And that you'd sit on that last question, what's gonna cost me? What way may I be living in that is not the gospel way? Maybe it's financially you need to give because you're so in your budget, you say, I can't do it. Maybe you need to give and say, God, I believe that you're provider and sustainer. 
Maybe it's relationally that you say, well, if I don't enter this argument or this conversation, right, my friends identify as conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat, right? Maybe it's going to cost you friendships to step into the gospel way. But I'd encourage you to spend time with Jesus and ask him to show you the parts of your life where Jesus isn't better. And may we, as we sing this song, may this gospel our hearts to say, right, make my heart believe that Jesus, you are better. Heavenly Father, God, we do just come before you. God, remembering your abundant generosity, your work on the cross. And God, you've entrusted to each and every one of us different spaces, different amounts, but God, our call is, are we gonna be faithful with what you have entrusted to us? Are we gonna be people that walk in the gospel way? Are we gonna be people that say yes, even if Jesus is better? Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.